0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 247 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming to you from Austin, Texas. Hope everybody's having a good end of summer. Today's topic was actually inspired by a one-to-one conversation that I had with a listener. And she asked a really interesting question that I think is worthy of actually an episode's worth of discussion And so I'll tee up the question and then we'll get to my answer and all of its components on the other side. So here's the question. She asked, how can I gain the same mental satisfaction stimulation from my easy recovery runs as harder efforts? So how do I embrace the mentality of especially on those easy days and recovery days that I have to go slow in order to go fast when it counts. And so I've got some tips for that because believe me, this is one of the hardest things to get people to understand for a lot of reasons. And even when they intellectually understand, it's hard to actually implement in practice because sometimes the ego gets in the way. And because at some level, it's a counterintuitive assertion that you have to run slow in order to get fast. So we'll get to my answer to that question on the other side with six different thoughts to think about tips to really embrace the idea that you have to go slow to go fast. Before we get there, a couple of quick things. First of all, I just wanted to let everybody know that this woman, a listener, she has some races teed up in the fall, and she actually scheduled a one-hour console with me on her training to talk about how all of those training components fit together. And you can actually buy that on her site if you go to roguerunning.com. It's only a hundred bucks for an hour of my time to help you calibrate your training. So if you're not looking for a long-term coaching relationship at this point, but just want some advice on your training, then you, could, you can get that. So you can go to our website, rogerunning.com, click on the virtual button, and the option is underneath that. Secondly, before we jump into the main topic, I've got to give a plug for the new documentary about Eliud Kipchoge. He was featured in a documentary called The Last Milestone. Kipchoge, The Last Milestone just released, I believe, yesterday. You can stream it on a few different platforms. I think particularly YouTube is a really accessible platform. It's about 90 plus minutes, or right around 90 minutes of content that focuses on Kipchoge's story, but it tells it from the perspective of his build up to the sub two that he did in Vienna. So really fascinating. I was able to screen it actually about three weeks ago before it it was released to the public. And I've got to say, I highly recommend, highly recommend the documentary is very well done. It's not only a fascinating picture into his training, his life, his mental approach to running but also a fascinating picture into the science behind the, the breaking 2 effort the again this is the second attempt where he actually got under 2 hours and all the things that they did to figure out how to give him every advantage possible in that attempt it is unbelievably fascinating and so I would highly recommend you go check that out Kipchoge the last milestone okay Let's jump into my main topic now today. Again, we're going to be answering this question. How do you embrace the idea of going easy and or slow, quote unquote slow, on those easy and recovery days so that you can then invest the right elements into your harder efforts? It is easier said than done. I promise you, this is... Probably the biggest challenge that I have with new athletes in my programming is getting them to embrace this concept. And I get it. It's counterintuitive, right? It makes sense intuitively that if you run faster, you'll get faster, at least as it relates to running. But we know, and I have 15 plus years of experience coaching, I know that if you truly embrace the concept of running easy on those easy days, then that will allow you to develop in a way that you can invest more in the hard days, but also develop your aerobic system in the right ways to reach your long-term potential. And if you're running too fast all the time, then that is a recipe for plateauing. That is a recipe for injury. My conversations about this on this podcast are well-documented, including most recently in episode 240, where I talked about the importance of slowing down in order to get your goal times. So I'm not going to belabor too much the reasons and the rationale behind this philosophy, but what I wanted to talk about today is how do you take it from an intellectual concept that you might logically agree with and put that into practice in your running so that you can truly, truly embrace it. And I'll tell you this. I knew I've known this concept intellectually for a very, very long time, probably since after I had a stress fracture building up to my first marathon in the year 2000, where after that stress fracture, I spent the next three to four months when I couldn't run completely investing my spare time in coaching philosophy. And so I learned that concept intellectually then and started to put it into practice when I came back after that and was healthy again. But anecdotally, I didn't really understand and embrace the idea of what it meant to go slow until actually my wife, Amy was pregnant with our first child Finley I happened to be training for a marathon pretty much simultaneously to that first pregnancy and I committed during that time to actually run with her in those opportunities that I could because she's a marathon runner as well, was still running throughout her first pregnancy and, and really through all of them. She ended up running, I believe, up until a week before Finley was due and I would run with her on my easy days as, as my way to support one of my small ways to support that process. And as you could imagine, as the pregnancy progressed, our paces on those days got slower and slower as her body changed through the process. And, you know, what started out as maybe nine to 10 minute miles on those initial easy days early in her pregnancy progressed to, you know, who knows, 14 to 15 minutes sometimes, shuffle jocks where we were just focused on covering the distance, sometimes walking a little bit and running and alternating, but we were covering the distance, she was moving in a way that she felt comfortable and and felt good for her body given that process, and I was just there to support. And so I was doing that on my recovery days, I believe a couple of times a week, and then doing my "Quote normal training on the other days. And this was now 12, 13 years ago. And during that time, what I saw as I progressed through that time was that as my paces got slower on those easy days, again, up to potentially 14, 15 minute miles, I was able to invest more in my hard days and in my Long runs to the point where I ultimately PR'd in that marathon cycle at the end. And really, kind of a surprise to me because I had let go of that goal because I wanted to be a supportive father and husband, not realizing that it would unveil to me this idea, really get me to fully understand and practice this idea of going slow enough in order to get the full benefits of training and I was able to do that in that cycle ultimately got a PR from it and that really cemented for me my perspective on this philosophy that you have to go slow to go fast so let's talk about six ways to truly embrace that concept the first is just the intellectual most of you perhaps are already there. Maybe you can logically hear me talk about this and listen to episode 240 and say, oh, that makes sense, Chris. I get it intellectually, but I want to make sure we hammer this home. First, you got to really embrace it and understand it intellectually because a lot of people, when I talk to them about this philosophy, they think, especially if they're newer to me as an athlete, they think I'm actually babying them Or somehow treating them with kid gloves when I talk about going slow or going a lesser degree of fast for you. They think that, or sometimes it comes off as, oh, I'm new to this. And so my coach is not giving me all all the keys to the kingdom yet. He's sort of giving them to me in smaller bits and giving me training wheels, so to speak, as I start in the program. So there's that mentality I think initially that this is somehow uh, an idea or concept that is only reserved for people that are new or beginners because and that's just fundamentally wrong and so intellectually you have to fully embrace the idea that going slow is better for you in reaching your goals and in reaching your long-term potential it is better for you and the reason I coach this way is because I want all of my athletes to get their goals, regardless of what those goals might be. And I am fully invested in that. I feel it just like they do, or at least as closely as possible as I can imagine to them wanting their goals. I want it for them in that same way. And so I'm I'm coaching this way because I know that this is the path to get those goals. And so you have to first embrace it intellectually, which means understanding the reasons Why we go slow, and again, when I'm talking about going slow, I'm talking about the easy days. Obviously, this is balanced with the quality workouts where you have speed, or sometimes the long runs where you're doing speed work within the long run. So, there's certainly a balance, but the vast majority of mileage in my programming is designed to allow you to go easy so that you can get your goal down the road, and there's really four reasons. I've talked about these before on the show, but I want to hit home those reasons again. Four reasons, and you could probably list others, but four I'm going to highlight here for why going slow is important to getting your long-term goals. The first and the biggest is this idea that going easy or going slow for you helps you build aerobic capacity. That's your global ability, your body's global ability to process a a molecule of oxygen from the air and get it to your mitochondria inside your cells where the respiratory functions happen. And there's a whole chain of events that has to happen to get that molecule from the air all the way to your mitochondria. And we have to work on that entire chain of events in order to improve that aerobic capacity, your car engine, your engine, if you will, then you have to run easy that's where that kind of development primarily primarily happens is at easy conversational efforts especially as you add mileage over time and so you are as a part of that process you're adding lung capacity you're improving the lungs ability to pass oxygen to the bloodstream you're improving your red blood cell count you're improving your red blood cells ability to accept and carry oxygen towards the working muscles you're improving your bloodstream's ability to pass oxygen from those red blood cells into the cells themselves. You're adding capillary beds to your working muscles. So you're literally building blood vessels along the way. And then within the cell, at the cellular level, you're adding mitochondria, which is where respiration happens. And you're improving those mitochondria that you have their ability to perform the respiratory functions, which makes you go. So that entire process for, to get O2 from the air to those mitochondria is a process that is developed primarily by running easy conversational paces. That's just the way it works. And so you have to slow down in order to get the full benefit of that aerobic capacity building, because if you're going too fast, then what happens is you slip into a different aerobic development zone where you're working on optimizing the system that you have versus building and expanding. The system that you have to use the car analogy i've used before you're fine tuning the engine at faster paces versus building the engine at slower paces and ultimately you want as big of an engine as possible in order to maximize your long-term potential and certainly we will fine-tune along the way but unless you have a big engine you're going to plateau you're going to peak sooner than you would otherwise so intellectually you have to embrace that idea that going easy is best for you to develop the aerobic system in a way that will allow you to reach your maximum potential. That's point number one. Point number two, going easy, especially on those easy and recovery days, allows your neuromuscular system to not be taxed in a way that will cause injury. When you run easy, it's it's less difficult on your body and less strenuous on your body so you're able to stay healthier longer and be more consistent by running at those slower paces on those easy and recovery days. So it's a, there's a neuromuscular benefit in that that taxes the neuromuscular system less at easy efforts so that you can stay in injury free, which then allows you to be more consistent, which then allows you to build mileage so that ultimately you can get the most aerobic capacity building that is possible. So point one, aerobic capacity building. Point two, it's designed to help you stay healthy and consistent. And oftentimes those that are running too fast on those easy and recovery days are the ones that are getting injured, which then pushes them out, which then means they're inconsistent and therefore they're plateauing because they just can't get the volume levels that you need to max your potential. That's number two, the neuromuscular benefit. Number three, I believe there's a form and efficiency benefit as well. A lot of people come to me and they say, Chris, I can't run that slow. That's a very common phrase I hear. I can't physically run that slow. And my answer is yes, you can. You absolutely can, but you have to work on it. You have to practice it. We're naturally more efficient and we're naturally smoother at faster efforts. That's just the way it works. The body likes to go fast. And if you're, but if you're inefficient at slower paces, then that means that there's some hidden inefficiencies at faster paces that you're just not experiencing or that that is not perceptible to you because you're going faster where the body is naturally more comfortable. So... If you can be efficient at all pace levels, all pace levels from a run or jog that is barely more, more perceptible than a walk to your fastest high end speed on a track. If you can be efficient at the entire range by working on being efficient at slower paces, and by the way, I talk about that concept in episode 223, The Art of the Recovery Run, about ways to be efficient at slower paces. If you can be efficient at slower paces, that will translate to efficiency at faster paces as well in ways that will not be perceptible to you. So that's number three. And number four, which I've already alluded to and discussed, is this idea that going easy on your easy days and recovery days allows you to invest more, to get more out of the times when you're running fast. The fast days and, of course, out of those longer runs, especially those longer runs where you might be doing pace work inside of them. So running easy on your easy days, going really slow on those recovery days helps you recover, in a way that will then allow you to reinvest that additional energy into the faster days, the longer days, just like I described when I was running those recovery days with my pregnant wife. So that's something that you have to probably practice to really understand. I can guarantee you that I've, I've had a bunch of athletes come to me after really slowing down their recovery days and and be almost have their mind blown what they're able to accomplish on the faster days because of that balance. And so you have to try it for yourself. You know, pick pick a target pace and really embrace in fact we'll talk about it later but create a metric around going easy enough or slow enough on those easier recovery days and just just play with it. Give yourself two months to test it out and just see what happens when you do that, what happens and how you feel on your quality f- speed days because I promise you it will change the game. So those are four massive reasons, I believe, four massive reasons, intellectual reasons to embrace this concept. And you f- you first have to really internalize those four reasons, I think, in order to embrace This concept of going slow so that's my first point is intellectually really get it that I'm I'm giving you this toolbox this key to the kingdom regardless of your ability level regardless of where you are regardless of what your goals are because it's going to make you faster it's going to give you the ability to do things you never thought possible I'm not doing it because I'm babying you. I'm not doing it because I think you can't handle more. I'm doing it because this will actually get you the most. So you have to really intellectually get that. Otherwise, these next five things might not work. But that's number one. Embrace it intellectually and logically. Number two, and I think this is a important point that helps a lot of training concepts, but I think it's particularly beneficial, and this is one that really helps me embrace the idea of going slow, which is to really understand your big picture. Really understand your big picture. Now, this doesn't mean you have to write anything in pen, but as I've described before in this podcast, I like to think about my training in 18-month blocks. blocks. Again, not in pen, but rather in pencil to say, I'm going to do this goal or go after this goal after this, over this five to six month period. Then after that, I'm going to translate that fitness into another segment. That's going to go after a different goal and just loosely outline the next 18 months for you. And maybe 18 months is too far to you, for you to imagine, but give me at least 12. Think about the big picture and the goals associated with that big picture What do you want to accomplish during that time? And loosely, what race distances do you want to go after? Loosely, what races do you want to go after? Think about that big picture. Again, this is not something you have to write in pen. You can do it in pencil. Things can always evolve and change. But embracing the big picture allows me to have a level of patience in my training that I find really helpful. Because when you understand that there's more than just the next race, then it helps you zoom out when you need to zoom out and say, okay, when I'm thinking about the big picture here, the ultimate goal over the next 18 months, how do all the pieces fit together for me to get that goal? And if you can tie that big picture goal to... The habits and success elements that are going to get you there, then that can allow you to really embrace this concept. And so think big picture. Recognize mm-hmm. that if you tie the intellectual thought process I just gave you with the big picture goals of what you want to accomplish, and you put those two things together, which connects what success looks like to the intellectual ideas behind embracing slow then i think that gives you a better framework and a and more confidence to embrace this concept of going slow because you can connect it to the long-term goals that you might have so that's number two is think about the big picture and connect it intellectually to the reasons why going slow matters so that you can tie what you want to accomplish with how you're going to get there. And believe me, this is a critical part of that, as I've already discussed. So think big picture, think 12 months, at least potentially 18 months about what you want to accomplish. And for some of you who like to really zoom out, think even bigger than that. What would be a five to 10 year goal? Not that you have to plan all the training blocks to that point, but maybe if you think about what you want to accomplish in five years, then you'll able, you'll be more ready to actually embrace the little things that are going to help you get there versus a lot of times I think when we get too short-term focused, we get impatient and we start to rush and we think, oh, I have to really press every single workout in order to get the most out of this four months or th- five months that that I have in training versus understanding that it's about much more than that, that yes, the pieces that you're putting together now matter, but more than that, what matters is the longevity of putting training cycle after training cycle together so that ultimately you get to where you never imagined instead of being too short-term focused, too focused on the now, in which case that often leads to an impatient behavior which might cause you to go too fast when you shouldn't. So point number two here is zoom out. Think about the big picture. I think that will allow you the patience to slow down and to run easy when you need to. Number three, once you have the big picture in your mind and once you think about the big goals that you might have, then connect that to the, ha- the habits and the success factors they're going to get there. So then drill down. Zoom in. What are the and I'm not talking about every single thing, right? There's certain things that that are understood. And oftentimes in if you're following a training program or if you have a coach, the things that are that are simple to implement are the ones that you're given. So maybe you're given the workouts, maybe you're given a very prescriptive long-run schedule. Maybe there's two or three things that are just defined for you that you don't have to think about where you just paint by numbers. But then there's the other things and the little things, the the things that don't necessarily show up in a training log or that maybe your coach doesn't write out explicitly for you. Those are the things that I'm talking about here. And if you think about what are the three to five things that are going to be the absolute keys most prioritized for you. To get the goals in the long-term picture that you just talked about, what are those things for you? And I would argue for some of you, it is to run your easy recovery runs to either get them in or to get them in at an easy enough effort. That might be a critical element here to get those long-term goals. And I'll give you a personal example. I remember when my last marathon PR came in January of 2018 in Houston. And I remember training for that cycle. For whatever reason, I was struggling at that time with with running on the days I had to by myself. I've become so used to in our road community here of having people to run with. And oftentimes I have had people to train with even on those days where I wasn't meeting runners at Rogue. And so it was always a situation of who am I meeting with? And I had that built-in accountability of having somebody to go out there with. But that cycle, that training cycle, for whatever reason, I don't even remember. I, I lost a training partner on a couple of those days. And so I had to do some of my recovery runs. I believe it was two a week on my own. And I know many of you out there are solo runners. I used to be, and it used to be no big deal to go out there and get it done by myself. But for whatever reason, that training cycle, it was. I was struggling with being consistent on those days where I didn't have company. I was struggling with maintaining my my accountability on those days. And so what I realized in that training block was that my success in that training block actually hinged primarily on those recovery days, getting them in, in order to be the grease of the wheels of everything else I was doing. Because I could do the workouts, no problem. I could get in the long runs, no problem because I had a group to go with. But on those recovery days, I did not. So I remember what I did, that cycle was actually create an advent calendar of sorts. I created a countdown calendar that showed all the recovery runs that I had to do by myself from the beginning of the cycle to the end. And I counted them down. I literally scratched them off every time one was done. And I knew exactly how many were left in the cycle. And I distinctly remember going on runs late in that training cycle where I was thinking, okay, only six more solo recovery runs left until race day. And, you know, it cut down obviously from there. And I I don't remember exactly how I did in getting those runs done, but I know it was very, very well. I think I had a 95% plus hit rate on getting those runs in. And again, it's a small thing. A lot of you run on your own, so I get it. It's not that big of a deal. But for me, that was a barrier, that training cycle. And I solved it by creating tracking around that little non-sexy thing that was going to be the key for me of getting my goal that cycle. And ultimately, I did. I pr in Houston on a beautiful day there in 2018 in January. And the biggest challenge for me that whole cycle was simply doing my easy recovery runs. And so, for you, what is that? Maybe it's doing those runs, maybe it's doing them at a certain effort where you can claim success, but drill down, write down, and then track in whatever way makes sense for you, those success factors, because it's going to hold you accountable to, what, to exactly what we're talking about. And so maybe for you, it's about doing those recovery runs or easy runs at a certain heart rate or at a certain pace or at a certain effort level where you, just, where you try to measure it by how you feel. Whatever that looks like, write it down and track it. I'm a big fan of bullet journaling. It was introduced to me by former guest Colleen Quigley, who's an Olympic steeplechaser who is a big bullet journaler. But it's basically just a way to create checkboxes around habits. And you can easily find info on that via the Google. But create a bullet journal or some other tracking mechanism that's going to hold you accountable to these tasks that tie to your big picture goals that tie to the intellectual reasons about why you're doing it. So that's number three is identify those habits, especially in this area and then track them and hold yourself accountable to them. Okay. Number four. I've talked about this concept before, but I don't think it necessarily naturally would come to mind that you would use it in this way. But I talked to this athlete who who posed the question about this concept and I talked to another athlete actually last week about a similar concept, which is using positive self-talk, using affirmations to reinforce this point. Science tells us and my experience and practice tells me that personal affirmations can actually help you reprogram your brain's thinking about certain things. So if you're struggling with this idea, even if you get it intellectually, but maybe you're letting something or your ego get in the way, then we need to actually reprogram your thoughts around this idea. We need to reprogram your thoughts around this idea. And a way to do that is through personal affirmations. And when I'm talking about personal affirmations, I'm talking about a word, a phrase, a sentence, that you develop to reinforce this message that you can then post everywhere you could potentially see it on your mirror on your fridge on the dash in your car maybe as my former guest James Dodds would do change your computer passwords to somehow remind you of the affirmation and then you need to say it and and then you need to say it then you need to after you post it actually say it out loud to yourself which, again, sounds very cheesy, but is effective. And I recently talked about how Valerie Allman, the Olympic discus thrower, did this with her coach to help reinforce force her beliefs in herself about winning a potential gold in the discus, which she did. And so I think we often think about it as, well, that's something you might use as it relates to goals, but I think we can also use it as it relates to reprogramming our brain in this way. So it could be an affirmation that says I have to go slow in order to go fast on race day or train smarter, which allows me to work harder when it counts. I'm I, I'm not going to pretend to know what combination of words resonate with you. I'm a big believer that you have to actually develop your own affirmations so that it uniquely resonates with you. But I would encourage you to develop an affirmation around this concept, around this idea of going slow to go fast, around this idea of staying in control, staying within yourself in order to get the most out of yourself at some point down the road. Develop an affirmation around that if this is something you struggle with. Post it everywhere. And then say it out loud to yourself every single day. Once won't matter. Twice won't matter. But if you do this for three months, then I promise you it will change your thinking about how you think and react in this way. It will change your thinking about running easy. Which will then translate to the physical side of things and allow you to fully embrace those concepts when you when you go out there on your runs so develop a personal affirmation around this specifically because it is important and it will help reprogram your brain in order to embrace it so that's number 4 personal affirmations number 5 which is one of my favorites as i mentioned i really enjoy running with people But number five is find friends that will hold you accountable to running easy. Find friends that will hold you accountable to running easy. For some of us, that might mean finding a friend who's a lesser degree of fast and then letting them set the pace. For others, it might just mean finding friends that are similarly paced and then develop a collective goal around slowing down on your easy runs and on your Recovery days in order to together accomplish more. But to me, friends are training partners, friends are a critical part of this equation if you have access to them and will help you be accountable to this goal, to this mission. Because the other part of it is if you really embrace going easy, then you should be able to have conversations. You should be able to speak in full sentences when you're out there on a run. And if you can't do that with a friend, then that's a telltale sign that you guys are both going too fast. It also incidentally makes the time go faster, so you're less likely to stare at your Garmin or get a little bit antsy and crank up the pace too much at the end because you just want to be done with that solo run. So embrace the idea of finding friends who can hold you accountable to this in one way or another. I can tell you in a a cycle prior to that 2018 Houston cycle, it was probably four or five years prior, I was actually struggling again at that time about doing some of those solo easy runs, particularly my Monday run was one that seemed to, I really struggled with for whatever reason. And so in that that season, I believe it was back in 2014, I'll never forget sending a mass email out to anybody who I could think of who might be able to run with me on a Monday. And the subject title was a case of the Mondays. And it was just simply a call to anyone who wanted to go for a run with me on a Monday for them to respond. And we would work that out. And so in that season, I ended up getting five or six responses of people and we coordinated together to meet up at a, at a certain time every week and got it done together. And so that would be something to consider is send out that blast email to your runner friends and say, Hey, who wants to go join me? Because I'm sure there are others out there looking for that accountability as well. Or you could potentially look for resources in your local area, call the local running store and say, Hey, you know what runs, you know, of in town, where are people meeting up to do runs? And they can probably give you a list and then you could go meet people that way. Find accountability partners but I highly encourage that, especially if you're struggling embracing this idea on your own, is go find some friends to help you do that. Okay, number six, the last one, the last one, which kind of ties back to thinking about the big picture and ties back to the concept of developing the habits and success metrics for the individual things, the individual tasks and elements that you need to to do in order to get your goals, but this last one really is to drill down. We've talked about the big picture, but I would also drill down and make sure that you set your intention for each run before you start. And by by that, I mean I want you to think about the purpose of each run before you start, and then set your intention to accomplish that specific purpose. So what do I mean by that? So, for example, if you're going out for a recovery run, maybe the day after a long run or the day after a speed workout, and your body probably is tired and sore and you're feeling the effects of the day before, if you're going out for that run, think about the why of that run. Think about the purpose of that run before you start. And the purpose of that run on a recovery day is to run as easy as you need to for your body to create blood flow so that it can promote healing so that you can then later invest again in a hard or long day. So the purpose of a recovery day is simply to create blood flow so that you can promote healing. We've talked about it before. Motion is lotion. And so in the context of creating blood flow to promote healing. That means running as easy as your body needs you to in order to do so. So that you're not taxing it further. You're in fact giving it the ability to repair itself so that you can then invest in another day. And in order to do that, think about the pace that you need to run or think about the heart rate you need to have, or think about the efforts you want to bring to that. I, I personally like not looking at my watch on those days And so I will just think about the intention around effort and how I might start. And on those days, I'll start super easy, really with a shuffle jog. And my goal by the end of the run is to feel better at the end than when I started. And if I can do that, if I can feel better at the end, then mission accomplished. So my intention for that day would be to create blood flow and to run easy enough so that I feel better at the end simple. And then if I remind myself of that before starting each day, then it's a way to reinforce that in real time to take that big picture view and narrow it down to that next step in front of you. And it's it's critical to do that really for any run to think about what's my purpose for the day? How does this particular day, this particular run, this particular workout fit into the bigger picture? And try to accomplish that purpose and not do something more. Because on a recovery day, it's actually less about aerobic development. It's more about movement and blood flow. On a long run day, it's about aerobic capacity building, which means that I need to be running easy enough to let that capacity building happen. Or if I'm on a medium long run day, same thing. And so in those days, it's less about blood flow and it's more about just running an easy conversational pace so that I can build that chain in my body that takes O2 from the air and gets it to my mitochondria in my cells. And if I embrace that idea on those easy medium long runs or long runs, then I'm less likely to press the end because I'm bored or just because I want to or because I want my Strava output to look better, so my friends are impressed. No, don't do that. You're not supposed to run fast unless you're supposed to run fast. And that will be typically very prescriptive in your programming. So don't be tempted. Focus on the purpose of the day, achieve that purpose, and then put blinders on so that the other noise, the other temptations fall to the side so that's my last tip is take the big picture and zoom in to what's right in front of you and reinforce each day you go out what's the purpose of the day and what do i need to do to execute on that purpose and then you can define success simply by that by accomplishing that mission versus by getting a certain output on your watch or by being able to show something on Strava to your friends. Because I I guarantee you, you can run as easy as you want on a recovery day. It won't necessarily look good on Strava or be something that you'll brag about. But then you'll be able to invest more in those fast days. And then when race day rolls around, you'll be smashing goals left and right. And that's when you can brag because you did it the right way. So there you go, those are my six ways to think about and embrace this idea of going slow to get fast. One, get it in your head intellectually, understand that I'm talking about this because it matters, because this is how we get faster and not because I think you can't handle more. Number two, think about the big picture and then connect that to those intellectual reasons as to why we go slow to go fast. Number three, then drill down into the habits, the success factors that are going to help you best achieve your goals, the ones that aren't on your training schedule, but that are, are critical to still getting that long-term potential. Number four, use those personal affirmations. If this is st- something you struggle with, to remind yourself to reprogram the brain, to embrace these concepts. Number five, find some friends who will keep you accountable to going slow when you need to. And number six, define and remember and execute on the purpose of each day as it comes. And then I promise you it'll all fit together to to doing things you never thought possible. So there you go. My six ways today of embracing this idea of going slow in order to go fast That's what I've got for you. I believe in it. I live it. I coach it. Believe me, this is so fundamental to your success. If you can get it, then again, you'll do things you never thought possible. So there you go. We'll wrap this episode here. This has been episode 247 of the Running Rogue Podcast. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.